it feels like to me, like right now, it's like all hands are, you know, it's like we need all hands on deck. It is go time. Yeah. We need everybody shining the light. And if we are in that place where we are thinking we're broken and wrong and we are not able to embrace our gifts, then we are we are contributing to the problem, not the solution. And it is absolutely my mission and my passion right now to get the word out to as many people as possible to if they I you know to recognize what does it mean to be an empath and to claim that identity that identity if you have it now one thing I will say is going back to the, the thing about it seems like a buzzword not everybody who is like just having a hard day is an empath I mean being an empath is not necessarily something you want to wear like a badge of honor it's actually this quite is challenging discovering the voice within with Whitney and Jenkins Hello and welcome to the 52nd episode of Unconditioning Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week I have with me Jennifer Moore. Jennifer is a former emotional hot mess and world-class awfulizer. She supports other highly sensitive intuitive women to release empathic overwhelm and distress so they can access their inner wisdom and power. Jen brings over 30 years of experience to her work where she merges practicality, intuition, and skill to offer insight, guidance, and emotional freedom to those that she serves. Jen holds a master's degree in psychology and religion, is an accredited master trainer for EFT International, and a founder of the Empathic Mastery Academy. She's the author of Amazon bestseller Empathic Mastery, host of the Empathic Mastery Show, and is the creator of two oracle decks and the photographic healing tarot. I had a really fantastic conversation with Jennifer. We talked about the difference between what it means to be empathic and psychic, and also how sometimes it's difficult to discern between a mental breakdown and an empathic experience and the differences between those things and the gifts that they're able to provide us along the way. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with Jennifer. She provides great pointers and tips of how to deal with feeling an overwhelm of energy around you and, and not really understanding where it's coming from. And in our current state of the world, that can be something that happens quite frequently as we are not sure what is ours and what is someone else's to take on. So here is Jennifer Moore. You know, I'm an artist, I'm a writer, I'm a creator, uh, you know, and also do a lot of work as a healer and stuff like that. So let's just see where we get taken. Yeah, I'm excited to dig in. So one of the first things that I like to ask is because you are all of these creative, wonderful things and you do have a healing perspective, when is the first time that you remember coming across the knowledge within yourself that you had an inner authentic voice of your own, um, whether that be intuitively or creatively? but it was something that you were able to recognize as something that was purely your own and something you were able to follow. What an awesome question. So the first thought that comes to my mind is that I've always had a very strong sense of my inner, of my voice. And maybe because I was the eldest child and I was kind of the bossy big sister, but I always had opinions. I always had a perspective. I always felt like what I had to share was worth, like was worth worthy of being in the conversation, even as a very, very little girl. And I, and so in a way it feels like it's more about coming to recognize the idea of like my sovereignty as opposed to being guided by the voice, because I really cannot think of a time in my life where I didn't, where I wasn't very solid in my creative expression and like in knowing that like 
I do what I do. And I'm just trying to think of like how that journey of sort of like coming into sort of knowing that it is coming from within me. I think the thing is for myself that it has been more about the recognizing the importance of really sinking into my heart and accessing my rawest, most vulnerable, most authentic truth as possible. And if anything, it's been more about the ability to recognize when am I not, when am I fabricating? When am I curating? When am I putting a veneer over something? Like, it feels like that's more what I've come to realize than necessarily recognizing my inner voice. Mm -hmm. And also um, as an empath, um, yeah. I'm sure that there were some times where you were required to separate uh, your stuff from other people's stuff. And mm -hmm. do you have a memory of when you first were able to achieve that? Well, actually, I mean, what immediately came to my mind, I love how sometimes when somebody starts a question, you think of something and then the question is not necessarily exactly in that direction. <laughs> and what I was actually thinking as you were first speaking was that it really took me a long time to understand the impact of other people's perspective, emotions, thoughts, and feelings and how that was impacting me and influencing my perception of the world until I had some distance. And particularly this was true with my mom because my mother was a very, was a very kind of high, strong, very emotional person. And it took me being away from my relationship with her in terms of, I mean, it's not like we're estranged or anything. I mean, at this point, sadly, dementia has sort of taken her personality away from us, but, um, you know, I still have a relationship with her, but, but being an adult and living on my own with my, and with my husband and our pets and all of that, there was a point at which I started to really be like, oh, this wasn't mine. And so I think that in a way, like that journey of being able to, for me, the journey of recognizing what's mine and what's not mine has been a very long evolving process. And for me, it started with claiming the identity as a highly sensitive empathic person. But even after that, it's like understanding the magnitude of what that actually means and like what what, how that deeply influences and affects me. And from that sort of like claiming the identity, then comes the starting to be able to recognize when I'm out of sorts and when I'm feeling something and, and not necessarily just being like, this is your stuff, even though there's nothing connected to it. And then beyond that, starting to be like, okay, so if this is, if, if you're feeling out of sorts, but there's nothing connected to it in your own life, then is this yours? Is this mine? And so, you know, this journey from, you know, first understanding I am an empath, secondly, understanding the impact of being an empath, third, being, you know, starting to recognize when I'm out of sorts, next, being able to say, is this mine? And then finally being able to start really discerning what's mine, what's not mine. So it's not like there was like a moment of an aha moment. Like we're talking like decades long mm -hmm. process to really come to understand like what this really means, because I believe that for many of us as highly sensitive, you know, especially those of us who are, are highly sensitive, empathic people and, and, or people who identify as empaths. That the thing is that most of the time we, we were told, especially as children, you're too sensitive, you're overreacting, you're making too big a deal out of this, you're taking it too personally, you're, you know, like you're making a mountain out of a molehill, stop worrying about it, stop making, or pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, there's nothing, there's no elephant in the middle of the room, that feeling that you're describing or talking about is not happening here. And so as a result, I think a lot of us have to really deprogram from essentially the social cultural gaslighting about the fact that these emotions don't even exist. 
or that this is not even happening. And so there's a lot of like, I think like decolonizing and deconstruction that has to happen for ourselves before we even can have those moments of revelation. So while, you know, so, so I guess the answer is there was not an aha moment. There mm-hmm. have been just like gradual, continual understanding at a deeper and deeper level. Yeah. And it seems like you have seemed to understand the process of doing those things pretty uh, effectively as you are now teaching other people um, and guiding them along that road. And so empath is kind of like becoming sort of like maybe a buzzy or Oh yeah. My joke is that the word empath, like empath is the new black, you know, it's like, it's become super trendy for people to say that they're an empath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So taking that, uh, what does an empath mean to you? Okay. Thank you so much. Because this is, I think, you know, this is such an important thing. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like if you're doing art and you need to, you know, if you're doing digital art, you kind of have to calibrate the screen <laughs> to be sure that we're seeing the same color. Right. And um, so for me, so first off, I just want to say that the word empath is a science fiction term that came out of 19, like it started as a short story in the 1950s called the empath. And then the next sort of, ex- the, the next most, you know, popular exposure was like in Star Trek with an episode called the empath. And then I think it started to get into pop culture even more with The Next Generation and Deanna Troy on Star Trek Next Generation. And so I think a lot of people understand like the idea of an empath is somebody who can sense what other people are feeling. My definition of an empath is a being, and it doesn't have to be a human. It could be an animal. It could be like your dog, your cat, but is a being who is picking up the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, the sensations, and even the struggles from the world around them. But unlike somebody who has intuition or psychic abilities or as a medium or a channel where they're open to receiving information, but they know it's coming in from the outside, what makes somebody who is an empath unusual, and they're not mutually exclusive, you can be psychic and an empath too. But what makes being an empath different is that in my experience and what I've seen again and again and again, is that we process the information and the energy that is coming into us as if it's our own. And so we feel if, if there is sadness around us, we feel it as if it's our own sadness. If somebody is having a lot of like, they're, they're worrying about something going on in their own life, we will process it as if it is our own. And I can give you two examples of this. One example is I have a client who a while ago was just suddenly finding themselves worrying about their health and worrying about stuff that had nothing like it was, it was like kind of like out of the blue, like really coming out of left field and didn't make a lot of sense, like not really rational at all. Later, maybe within 48 hours of this kind of period of just like perseverating and worrying about their health they were talking to a friend of theirs who's going through a health crisis and the exact words coming out of that friend's mouth were the thoughts that had been going Mm -hmm. through their head. So it's like we experience other people's stuff as if it's our own. And an example from my own life was that when I was nine, I had basically my first prophetic dream, but in total empath style, What I did was I dreamed the night that one of my best friend's mothers died of breast cancer, and we were only like nine years old, and she wasn't even living in the same state at that point. They'd moved away. But instead of my dreaming about her and her mother, I dreamed it was my mother dying. And so it's this idea of we process information as if it's our own Mm -hmm. challenge with this is that because we process it as if it's our own, we will often think that the problem is ours. And we will also think that like, if we could just sort of fix what's going on inside of us, then everything's going to be okay. When what we need to be able to do is recognize what are we taking on and absorbing that is coming from the world outside of us. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the steps 
uh, that you can share to separate those things and protect uh, from taking those things on? So basically the five steps. So I wrote a book, it's called Empathic Mastery, which is a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. And the five steps are recognize, which we started to talk about that. Like how first we recognize that we are empaths. Secondly, we start to recognize when we're out of sorts. Third, we start to ask the question. And what I love to do is when I recognize that I'm feeling something, I'm feeling wonky or I'm feeling a little off, What I love to do is just put my hands over my heart and I just ask myself the question, is this mine? And when I get the answer, usually it's yes and. Most of the time there's a part of it that is about me, but a lot of it may be coming from something outside of myself. And then what I like to do after that is ask the next question, which is what's mine, what's not mine? And the what's mine, what's not mine, like starting to look into the origin of all of it is not necessarily as important as just recognizing if I'm carrying something from that's not mine, that it's okay for me to let it go and to stop carrying it around. So that leads us to the second step, which is release, which has to do with letting go of the stuff that is no longer serving us. And there are so many different ways that we can let go of things. And I will say, that when I was younger and somebody would say, just let it go. I really was like, you could have told me like, I mean, you could have told me to like go to Mars and go pick, like pick the fruit, pick fruit on, on the planet Mars. Like I was like, what do you even mean by that? And so I don't want to be flippant in Mm -hmm. talking about using that, that term, because I think that for many of us, like we don't even necessarily understand what it means to let go or to release something. So for me, release is about being able to not carry the emotional charge, but also not carry the responsibility for things that are not mine. Now I am, um, I am not only a practitioner, but also a master trainer for EFT International. EFT is also sometimes known as tapping and EFT stands for emotional freedom techniques. And so out of all of my toolbox, tapping is like my go-to for calming down my nervous system, for rebooting the fight or flight mechanism in my brain, and for basically like dismantling like the computer viruses that I'm carrying around that have me holding on to crazy stuff. But there's also like journaling and um, energy work and going and getting a massage and going for a walk and dancing and hugging trees and taking a salt bath and imagining all the energy moving through us. Like there are lots and lots and lots of different ways that we can release things and different, your mileage may vary. Like what works really well for me may not work really well for you. What works really well for you may be kind of like, eh, for me. So release is sort of the next step. And that again, it's not like a, we flip a switch and everything is suddenly understandable. Many of these things, we kind of start learning how to make shifts and learning how to make adjustments. And one of the things that I think is incredibly important within release is recognizing what are the things in our life that are not serving us that we do need to release? What are the relationships that maybe we are engaging in in a way that is is really not helpful for us? What are the behaviors that we are doing that may not be serving us? And so for example, for me, eating sugar is one of the things that I had to really be clear about was doing me no favors. And it was really deeply of impacting me emotionally as well as, you know, things like if somebody who I know is kind of like a high drama, hot mess is texting me at like 11 o'clock at night, at night, I'm not going to respond to that text message. Like just even like looking at my behavior, mm-hmm. which leads to the third step, which is protect, which a lot of people start there. But what I discovered was that if you don't deal with the stuff that you're carrying around already, no amount of protection is really going to sink in because it's kind of like you kind of have to detox from the stuff you've been carrying before you can comfortably release the stuff that you know be or or before you can protect yourself from from more stuff coming in and protect in my experience is both about 
psychic filters and shields, like energetic filters and shields that are about like keeping your energy system more like more resilient and robust and not as porous and not as mm. sensitive to taking on intensity. But there's also those strategic boundaries like the it's 11 o'clock at night. I am not responding to that crazy text that that person just sent me. And so there's the strategy of boundaries. There's like self-protection that's about the way we act in the world. And then the other two steps within empathic mastery is connect, which I believe wholeheartedly that the universe abhors a vacuum. And also that when we, that when we connect to something greater than ourselves and we start aligning with a positive energy, there is no, there is, there's less room for the negativity to flood back in. And so it's really about making that connection to something greater than ourselves, making that connection to like even our awareness of our interconnection as cells in the body of this earth as opposed to seeing ourselves as individual and separate mm -hmm. beings. And then finally, the last step is act, which really has to do with how do we live in a different way? How do we make choices that reinforce our, our health and also like supporting the health of other, of, of the world around us as well. And so there's all of the end, you know, I mean, I wrote a 380 page, <laughs> page book about this process because, and created an academy that leads people through this mm -hmm. called the Empathic Mastery Academy, because it's all about really understanding, like, how do we break these pieces down, but also how do we integrate this material? And so what I always like to remind myself and also like my students and my, my, my clients and my mentees is we didn't get this way overnight. We're not gonna, it's not gonna all get better overnight either. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. That was great. Um, I took the quiz on your website. Oh, cool. Um, about, uh, how empathic are you? And yeah. I got, I got extreme. Uh -huh. uh <laughs> <laughs> I feel for you sister, <laughs> especially in the last three years, it has been quite the dumpster fire for a lot of, a lot of highly sensitive people because it's been so intense. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for all of those steps. I'm, I'm definitely going to to take those and read your book and apply yeah. them to my life and being very selfish in this moment of the interview. But <laughs> I want to thank you um, for doing what you do. And especially like, I feel like for mental health in general, um, these kind of things could be mistaken for other. Ah, uh, uh, I'm getting chills. I was, you know, I was literally the other day I was doing a mentoring call with my EFT students who were going for certification as, as EFT practitioners. And we were talking about panic attacks and we were talking about the fact that one of my students has a client that they're working with who went on vacation and came back. And since they've come back from the vacation has been awakening at three and three, three o'clock and five o'clock in the morning, like with panic attacks, like feeling like they plugged into, like they feel feeling like they've been plugged into an electric socket, like, 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 like buzzing through their entire body. And it just came out of the blue. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, I'm not convinced this is a panic attack. Like I've spoken to enough people about over, especially as like what I call the COVID surges have come through where it's kind of like, you can feel the intensity ramping up about something on the planet mm -hmm. where I'm, you know, so many people I know are like awakening at three, four, five, six, seven o'clock in the morning, you know, feeling like they're plugged into an electric socket, feeling like, you know, waking up with their heart pounding out of their chest. And, you know, the allopathic model and the psych, you know, psychiatric model is always like, oh, well, you, you're having a panic attack or, oh, you've got tach you know, you've got tachycardia or, oh, you've got arrhythmia. And yet it seems to me that many of us who are highly sensitive and empathic are picking up on the distress in a way that it is coming through as what appears to be a mental health issue or a physiological issue. What's hard is that sometimes it really is almost impossible to distinguish. Am I having a panic attack? Am I having experiencing empathic distress or am I having a heart attack? <laughs> and it would be nice if they were a little bit less similar, but yes, like, and I also will say that when somebody is being, um, diagnosed for lack of a better word with like an anxiety disorder, 
But what's going on is that they are super porous and sensitive and they're picking up on the anxiety around them. No amount of like, I mean, yes, medication will probably help because we'll probably take the edge off, but it's sort of like the, you know, and I do believe that talk therapy, that working, doing our own work always, always, always helps. But in some ways, if we don't identify the fact that whenever we're in the presence of this one particular person and we come away feeling odd and sour and off and weird, that this is as much about what we're absorbing from that person as it is about maybe our, our rush need to, you know, like our codependency and our need to rush in and rescue. I think the thing is that we don't, it's like, we cannot address the issue as effectively. And I, while I do not think it's an either or like mental health or empathic sensitivity, I do think that empathic sensitivity is something we really need to be looking at in regards to our mental health a lot more than we do, because it really deeply, it can deeply, deeply affect us. And it can look like, it can look like anxiety disorders. It can look like depression. It can look like um, you know, chronic health issues, it can show up in a lot of really interesting ways. Yeah. And I, I think because of the way that we've been conditioned to repress when we're feeling these things, um, we're also not recognizing that these are also a gift in a lot of ways. Um, yes, yes, yes. Well, and I mean, when I first started to post, like I created this, um, I cre- when I first created the quiz and I first like started to post stuff over on social back in the, back in the wild west days of social media, where you actually would get traction. Mm-hmm. I had this one post that went viral. That was like, are you an empathic woman? And what was, and I mean, there were thousands and thousands of comments on this one, on this one viral post. And it, I cannot even like, I would have to go back in and like count how many of these people referred to their abilities as a curse. Like, like how many people talked about wanting to be able to control it, not being able to control it and feeling like it was a curse. And I think that in a society that number one invalidates what we're picking up and tells us that we're crazy and that it's all in our head. um, It is very hard to feel like you've got control when basically the direction you're being pointed in is the wrong direction. But then, um, and, and so it can be like, it really can feel like just such an incredible burden, but it is absolutely a gift. And what I love about it is that I believe that we are like, we are like the next, like we're, we are the, we're like, we are in the process as a species of evolving into a more, sen- a more sensitive, more loving, more like awakened, you know, like, and also recognizing that we are not individuals, that we are like interconnected, that Mm -hmm. we are part of something substantially greater than ourselves. And what I believe is that this sensitivity is ultimately the, the ability for us to recognize what is working, what is not working, and that we have the ability to like guide and support and help to steer the ship. But we also have the ability in the same way that we have the capacity to pick up on the suffering of the world. We also have the the capacity to pick up on the joy of the world. And we also have a capacity to either broadcast and amplify that suffering or broadcast and amplify the joy. And I believe that as empaths, we can become like, instead of dysregulating and spinning out with anxiety and having our nervous systems just like totally out of control that what we what we can do is we can start learning how to regulate our nervous systems and as we learn to regulate our nervous systems we can become we can do what is you know what is becoming another buzzword which is called co-regulation but we can help the we can help others around us to co-regulate to a calmer state and we ultimately can become beacons for like calm for love for healing for passing like to, for spreading 
the positive message and this positive energy out in the world. And in that way, it is absolutely a gift, as well as our remarkable capacity to be able to pick up on the needs and the idea, like the feelings and just all of the stuff that is that 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 other that is going on for other people. So I know one person, he's an empath chef. And he like, just has this way of like cooking for like, he cooks for the individual. And mm -hmm. so the food that he makes for each individual, like is like dialed into that person. I interviewed a woman a little while ago for my podcast, Empathic Mastery Show, where she worked in marketing for 25 years as an empath. And because of her empathic abilities, she was fantastic fantastic at marketing mm -hmm. and she could feel and see things that all of the muggle marketers couldn't. And so she like went from like, even with no skill or anything, she was like, she ended up being like in a, having a vice president role management role within like, I think two years because she was just so good. So we can use these gifts in a lot of really amazing ways. Yeah. yeah. And you are a mentor and you work with a lot of people who are on the path to heal and be light workers in the world. So in your work with that, like what have you seen and where do you feel that things are going as far as the transformation from when you first began to now? So in my, so in the phenomenon or in the journey, like I started on the healing journey and training as a healer, like almost 40 years ago. And I mean, I started when I was a very young whippersnapper and back when I first started a lot of the movement and a lot of the idea of both intuitive, like being a psychic, because the way that I started was actually reading tarot cards and working as a psychic for people. It was, and, and working as a healer, it was a lot about what can I do for you? It's a lot about, it's like, like the industry was very much a done for you industry. It was like, you know, you'd come in, you'd lie down on the massage table, you'd get massaged. You would, you know, you would go in for a reading with a psychic. They'd tell you what was going to happen to you. And what I have seen over the last number of decades is that we are migrating away from this model of power over and like, I know what's best for you and I'm going, you're going to come in and I'm going to be the expert and I'm going to share my expertise with you and I'm going to tell you what you need to do as opposed to more and more of it being about partnership, about collaboration, and about the work being like trusting in the innate wisdom that each individual has, and seeing ourselves more as a guide, as a companion, and as somebody who's there to hold space. So what I have seen within my own journey and what I encourage with my students and, and the students who are attracted and the client people who are attracted to work with me are not looking for this power over model. What they're looking for is a place of how to have how, how to hold space compassionately, but also how not to meddle and interfere and engage. So I think that what I'm seeing is very much learning how to drop the agenda, drop the, the idea of being the know-it-all who has all the information and really like be more in this place of like trusting in the divine flow, approaching things with compassion and curiosity, and then just really getting to see where does this take us? Mm -hmm. And there are still definitely, you know, healers and um, influencers and gurus and people out there who are wearing the big foo-foo hat and are claiming to be like, be the authority and be like better than anybody else. And there are certainly a lot of people who are still willing to sometimes shell out like tens of thousands of dollars to these people for, and I, you know, and, and like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with necessarily charging a very high price for high quality work. Um, 
And it's, but, but the point of this is to say that there are people who are willing to give, who are really willing to invest a great deal in working with people who are basically saying, I know what's best for you. I have an agenda about what I think should happen for you. And here, like, let me, let me take this over. Let me, let me, let me basically like take the reins for you and run the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of like answered a question that I was going to ask you anyway, uh, just now, um, because I was going to talk about how as these spiritual trends begin to rise, the dangers of knowing what is true and not. Yeah. 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 Well, and, you know, I mean, there's that old uh, spirit, that old like parable or whatever you would call it about the elephant. And it's like, everybody comes up to the elephant and it's like one person is describing the elephant, but their experience or exposure to the elephant is the trunk. And then another person is standing by it and they're like looking right at the, you know, the, the leathery hide of the side of the elephant. And another person is looking into the eye of the elephant. And each one of these people is describing a completely different a facet or aspect of the elephant. And each one of them could easily be looking at that other person and saying, you're wrong because your perspective is different. And I think if there's anything that I believe is that is like recognizing my puniness in the grand scheme of things, and that there is absolutely no way that my human brain is capable of grasping everything. I mean, something that I've recently been hearing is like, I believe the human eye only sees something like 1% of the Mm -hmm. spectrum and the human ear only hears like a very, very limited perspective of the frequencies. I mean, I work with frequency medicine. Um, I, Right. I will, I will say that rifing, which is a whole other, like, and it's not my specialty, but right, you know, rifing, which is frequent is a, is a device that um, broadcasts frequent radio frequencies into your body. Like I can't hear the frequencies. Like, like there are so many frequencies that I am not capable of picking up on. Why should I assume? And why should anybody assume that Mm -hmm. they have the capacity to pick up on all the frequencies to pick up on all the bands of light? Like we cannot possibly know all these things. And yet I, I mean, I would venture to say that a lot of times, like when you've got somebody who's like putting themselves into the position of authority, that this is based on illusion, that this is based on scarcity, that this is based on the idea that I have to somehow be better than other people to be worthy of making money, mm-hmm. that you know, that I have to be, that I have to shine, you know, that, that this is a race, that this is a competition, that somehow like I have to one-up myself or elevate myself in order for, in order to succeed. And so, I mean, there's just like so many different layers to like, why does somebody think that they need to be put, put in the position of leader, you know, of like the one true mm-hmm. authority or something. And I would say from my perspective, this is an old paradigm that we're breaking out of this binary idea, good, bad, you know, like uh, male, female, but also very much this idea that there's only so much to go around. And that if I want to have abundance for myself, that somehow that means that, uh, that some, like, like I'm either, it's either I'm going to get the piece of pie or you're going to get the piece of pie. And, you know, one of the things I love is, you know, just sort of a, the meme of like, the universe is not pie, you know, like <laughs> it's an ever expanding space and there is plenty for all of us. And this illusion that there isn't, I mean, it's just fascinating how it manifests, even in terms of like spiritual teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that concept seems to go completely against the entire yeah. um, philosophy of the spiritual yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier um, that psychic abilities and empathic abilities were different. So I was wondering if you would like to delve into that a little bit and tell the difference. So this, so, so as I was saying before, in some ways, the easiest 
way to distinguish between psychic ability versus so first off let's just imagine that all of us are kind of like like i sort of have this image of like like everybody has kind of like a funnel you know <laughs> like we have like a funnel that is like may you know like maybe like coming from the top of our head maybe another funnel that's like open and coming into our heart you know like there's just imagine there's like these funnels that are are you know in these places where information is allowed to or able to come in any of, you know, and, and when somebody has, let's just use the term extrasensory perception, like let, like as the broader term that, you know, all of these categories fit into what that means is there that a person's capacity or a person's funnel is more, is maybe either wider, broader, open, like more open than the average bears, or is, um, is just like, has a capacity to receive information more effectively than other people do. This, in my experience, is true for empaths, for psychics, for intuitives, for mediums, for channels, like anybody who is receiving information from outside or from, you know, from a source larger than ourselves, this is the case. Like we're open to receiving information. That's consistent. The difference between these different things is that empaths, process the information as if it's our own and don't usually recognize that what's coming to us is not ours, especially when we don't know we're empaths. Ultimately, we can start learning that, oh, when I'm feeling this weird, wonky, out of sorts feeling where I feel kind of thrown off, that's because something is going to be happening in 10 days or something is going to be like something is going on with my family member or this thing is going on. Like we start being able to learn to discern, but at first, especially empaths feel it, but we feel it in a way that there's no filter that's like, oh, this is coming from outside of me. Whereas a psychic receives information and they know they're receiving information Psychics, in my experience, tend to receive information more in a, like, it's more kind of in the upper registers, like, like heart chakra to crown chakra. Empaths, I think, more often tend to experience things like in a more embodied way, like tend to, and also it tends to be more of a felt sense. However, some empaths experience things in their head, like in their mind but they experience it like more through, like they perseverate, they worry, they're concerned. So, so that's like the really big difference. And then what I would say is like, in terms of just sort of the subtlety of these words, so like empath, I mean, psychic versus medium, the best explanation I've heard that one of my mentors, Joanna Hunter said is like, I think it was Joanna who said this, psychics are picking up information from the living world and mediums are picking up information from the, from the other side and from like, from multiple, from other dimensions. And in my experience, psychics tend to receive the information. Like it's more of a known, it's more of a, like, it's either you're seeing it, you're hearing it. Sometimes you're smelling it. Like sometimes, you know, there's even people who like chefs sometimes have what's called clairgustance where like they have the ability to sort of taste things mm. um and some of the best chefs kind of have that like psychic taste ability so they're picking up on things but there's also like claircognizance like when you know something so the clairvoyance i'm seeing it clairaudience i'm hearing it um clairalliance i'm smelling it clairgustance i'm tasting it clairsentience i'm feeling it but I know I'm feeling it from the outside. Claire cognizance, I am knowing things. I just know things. But again, I know that this is not my daydream. I know that this is not my vision. And I'm not only an empath, but very psychic and have been for a long time. And the way I would say is like, when I'm in empathic distress, I'm experiencing it through my own filter. And I'm like worrying about or seeing things or experiencing things like as if I'm going through it. And I'll give you an example. When the war broke out in Ukraine, I went through this period where I kept on seeing myself with a cat carrier and my and my pug Lilu on a leash walking down my own road in like Maine, where things are totally safe, fleeing my home. And it was sort of like I knew I knew that this was not my reality, but I was perceiving it 
Like I was having this experience where I was perceiving it through like the empathic channel. Whereas when I'm getting a psychic piece, I would be experiencing where I would see, like I would see the actual people in Ukraine walking down the street with their pets. And I would know, like I, it would be like, or I would be seeing it, like I would be seeing it through their eyes, but I would be seeing it as if I was like in Ukraine and I was having like a daydream or a vision that's not mine. And so in my experience, the difference between, you know, that's the big thing about being psychic is that we experience, like we might have the visions, we might have the sense of knowing but it's like we can recognize the foreignness of it or yeah. the outside of ourselvesness of it. Whereas for me, intuition is more of a felt sense. It's more of like a heart and gut feeling. But again, it's this inner knowing, but it's also this inner understand. There's like a discernment to it and an ability to just know something and recognize like, like it almost intuitively, we, we automatically know what's ours and what's not ours. Whereas an, as the empath, we often are going to have to rely on our intuition and use our intuition to help us recognize what's ours and what's not ours. When you get this information, do you feel a responsibility to share it? If you So I have a very, so yes, so there's a, so I have a very sort of strong sense of like, I've got, I've got a set of rules about this mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah. And my basic rule is that if information, if like, I do not offer unsolicited information, I am not the Long Island medium. I do not go up to people at the meat cart counter and say, Hey, your grandma just wanted to tell you that, you know, she's, she's doing fine. And she thinks you're great. Like, I feel very strongly that if somebody has not specifically asked for information, it is not my job. It is actually, it is, it is not, it is not within my contract to just involuntarily share information. And I've had the experience being on the other side of it where like, I've gone up to somebody, like I remember going up to somebody at, at like a, at a booth at an event that I was at and just starting to strike up a conversation with this woman. And she started reading me. Mm. I did not ask for a reading. I did not ask for information. She just started reading me and she started giving me really unhelpful information. Like it was not, it was inaccurate and it was kind of obnoxious. And I was kind of like, not only did I not ask you to read me, But I also, but also like step off lady, you are, you are wrong. (laughs) Like you're getting (laughs) like, you're, you're trying to impress me, but you're not like, you're doing the exact opposite. But so for me, I have a very strong sense of like information shared needs to be consensual. And so the way that it works is when I get a hit or a flash about something, What will come through is I will get a flash about it and I will sort of go, thank you for sharing to the voice or the the vision or whatever, however it's coming into me. And then I will just put it on the back burner and I will continue the conversation or the engagement with that person. And then what I will do from there is I wait. And if it comes back a second time, I go, okay. And if it comes back a third time, that is the point where I will then say, I will then be like, okay, they're clearly, so I wait for three times to get a prompt that this is very important information. And then once I've gotten that prompt three times, then I will say to somebody, if they have not, like if somebody's hired me to do a reading for them and like be, a, be it into it, like, like channel information, I just let it rip. Like, I'm just like, I'm just going to give you the information. You know, you do what you want with it. But if somebody has not asked for that, then what I will do is I will say, you know, I'm getting this feeling about something, or I just had this flash about something. Would you be interested in knowing about it? Would you like, would you like to hear about it? And most of the time people are like, yes, please. But ever so often somebody's kind of like, no, not really. Because, you know, there's, um, there's the thing is that even when we have the vision, even when we have the information, I think there's two things. One is whether somebody is ready for that information or P or, or even a culture or society is ready for that information. Like there's like, 
there's like the classic story um, about the Trojan War and the Princess Cassandra, who had the gift of prophecy. And mm -hmm. she could see like the whole like dumpster fire going down with with the whole thing of like Troy going going like just being like just the mess, the total <laughs> mess. Nobody listened to her. She did. She was screaming. She's like, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. Nobody cared. Nobody was listening to her. And so there's a part of me that's like, it does not, it is a waste of my breath and a waste of my energy and a waste of my resources to try to be screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming when people are not ready to hear that information. Mm -hmm. The other piece that I was going to say is that secondly, there's another side of it, which is that I may or may not have the, inf I may have an understanding that something's coming to pass, but I also am human and my filter is going to be interpreting through my human lens. Yeah. And so I cannot trust that I'm necessarily going to be able to accurately tell you exactly what it is. Like sometimes, sure, like there might be a, don't drive that person to the airport today. Like, like, just like that, like, please don't get into that car. That's not a good idea. Or please don't go to that party. It just, I get a really bad feeling about it. Or like, for example, I had a friend whose dog was going through something a little bit weird. And she's like, I don't know. It doesn't really seem like maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not okay. And I just got this really bad feeling. And I was like, no, I really think you need to take her to the vet right now. Like something's very wrong here. And she was a friend who trusts my abilities and my intuition a lot. And so, you know, but like, I was kind of like, you know, I really do think you have to take her to the vet. And turns out she had this bizarre condition that if they had not taken her to the vet, she would have died. Like mm -hmm. it was one of those things where it was like, just like a, yep, you need to take the dog to the vet. So with those kinds of things, like in those immediate moments, I can usually get a pretty accurate, like, okay, you need to be careful about this. But like with something larger, like, you know, like before, for example, like it was a couple of weeks prior to 9-11 that I could feel something rumbling, but I had no idea what it was. There was no way I was going to be able to be like, don't get in airplanes on nine, you know, September 11th or, um, you know, or another, another time was, um, oh my goodness. I'm just like, I had another example and it just completely went <laughs> out of my brain. So, but anyway, sort of like, there are times where it's like, I totally understand, like, I can totally, I understand what is going on. Oh yeah. You know, another time was like, I was talking right before the pulse, um, shootings at the nightclub in Florida, the Pulse nightclubs, mm -hmm. me and a bunch of sensitive people were all like, what is coming? What is going on? What is going to start? We knew something was coming, but we had no idea what it was. And it wasn't until the bubble burst and we we're like, oh, that's what I've been feeling for weeks. Yeah. So that's the other side of it is like, and especially as an empath, we can sense things, but we don't necessarily have the precision of this is exactly what's going to happen. But even with that, I also really believe when it comes to the future, the future is based on choice. And while there are dominant streams of likelihood based on the likelihood of choices that many, many people are going to make, everything is capricious. Everything is at the whim of our will. And so there is no such thing as a prediction that will absolutely come true. And this is one of the reasons why you could go to a psychic and get a reading where they are predicting something that is going to happen in three months. And then you come back maybe two weeks, two weeks before that three month mark, and they're giving you completely different information. And that is because free will influences mm -hmm. the future and will is constantly morphing and constantly changing and constantly evolving. What's wonderful about that is that even if, you know, six months ago, people are having visions of like climate, climate, you know, like climate crisis, devastation, miracles can unfold. Like we have the ability through our choices and through our will to turn things around and make the timelines be 
very different. And if you start playing into the idea of like the quantum universe and quantum <laughs> realities, it's like we've got, you know, branches of reality that are constantly fracturing off based on what choice got made in a particular place. Oh, yeah. You can yeah. get really lost in that. Lot, totally lost in that. Yeah. Like that is a rabbit hole. <laughs> Actually, that's multiple rabbit holes. It's like it might start with one hole and then it branches into two and then branches into four. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you know, you're in infinity exponential rabbit holes. Yeah. Yes. So if people would like to work with you, uh, whether like for a reading or like to be involved in your academy what would that look like okay so basically the best way to reach out to me is to jump over to my website empathicmastery.com if you want to get a copy of the book go over to empathicmasterybook.com if you want to listen to the podcast go over to empathicmasteryshow.com get you see there's a theme going on here <laughs> and over and over on my website you can like you can just sort of get a taste of whether i've got the right flavor for you because I feel really, really strongly that it does not matter how good a professional is. If the fit isn't there, it doesn't matter. And what I want is I want you to know that I'm somebody who could help you. And I want you to feel like, yeah, she's somebody I'd like to work with. So, um, you know, I have a free Facebook group that I invite people to join me on. I offer monthly master classes over there at every full moon. We just did one on ancestor. Um, on working with the ancestors and doing ancestral healing that was really powerful, yeah. really, really amazing. And, you know, there's a section that says work with me that will lead you to all of the other things, including the links for the Empathic Mastery Academy. The Academy just started this round. So right now, um, enrollment is closed until the next time around. Um, but, you know, all of the information is there. If you jump over to empathicmastery.com, like I said, book empathicmasterybook.com, podcast empathicmasteryshow.com, and you can find all the links over there. Excellent. I will put all those in the show notes. So Thank people you. Can find you very easily. Thank you. Um, so I want to give you the opportunity right now, if there's anything that we haven't touched upon and that you have this platform, uh, if you would like to dive into anything else. Yeah, I guess what I would say is that I think the most important thing I want to say, if, if what I'm saying is resonating, if it's like, oh my God, I'm recognizing myself in this, that what I want you, you, you know, as you were saying, you could really relate to a lot of the information mm -hmm. and I want anybody else who's listening, you have these, you know, like trust your gut trust your instinct, trust that something, if you are feeling, if you're like, wake up and you like, you are having a perfectly normal day, everything is completely fine. And then suddenly you're feeling completely out of sorts. Trust yourself. Like it's okay to like, know that yes, you're picking something up, trust yourself, cultivate that curiosity, believe that you are receiving information and you know, I don't necessarily like to talk in negatives, but I will say you are not broken. Mm. You are not overreacting. You are not taking things too personally. You are picking up information for a reason and you are picking something up. Like there is information to be picked up. It's not just that you're making stuff up. And if you grew up in a culture, like I think most of us did, that tends to really try to downplay emotion, compartmentalize emotion, and sort of kick the can down the road. I mean, we all sort of grew up with like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, mm -hmm. that we doubt ourselves. And so if there's one thing that I really want to invite all of us to do is like, claim your awesome, awesome, empath soul embrace who you are and don't let anybody tell you that you don't know what's what that and don't ever let anybody tell you that your feelings and that the way you're experiencing the world is is invalid is illegitimate is not acceptable is not okay and you know a while ago you know, we we're talking about the idea of the spectrum of vision of light and what we see and what we don't see. What I believe is that empaths see more than some people do. And that, but we have the default rainbow in our culture. 
is the muggles yeah. rainbow. Mm -hmm. And so what I really just believe wholeheartedly is don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards. Mm -hmm. Live in a colorblind world that thinks that the colorblind is reality when it is a deficit on their part. We are the ones who have the capacity to pick up and perceive more. And it is not because we're making shit up. It's because they do not have as much capacity. And so I really do live by like, instead of looking at yourself as broken, wrong, and weird for seeing more colors, trust that you actually see things more accurately. And, and but we happen to live in a world where the dominant paradigm is like 90%, like somewhere statistically, I think Elaine Aaron, you know, it's like something like maybe 10 to 20% of the population identifies or are HSPs, highly sensitive people. And then within that population, I would say that we're probably talking about 10 to 20% of that population would be empaths, like extreme empaths. So we're talking like maybe one to 2% of the entire population. That means that one out of one or two out of a hundred, which means that in our social circles, we are often the only person with that ability, which can make it really easy to doubt that mm -hmm. what we are picking up on is actually accurate when so many other people, when, when essentially like 90% of the population is saying, no, our rainbow is legit yours isn't yeah and that's why i work like yours is so important so that empaths like me and you can find each other and exactly. uh, have that support system exactly well yeah. and that's why i just want to thank you whitney and so much for having me on your podcast because it feels like to me like right now it's like all hands are you know it's like we need all hands on deck it is mm -hmm. go time yeah. we need everybody shining the light and if we are in that place where we are thinking we're broken and wrong and we are not able to embrace our gifts, then we are, we are contributing to the problem, not the solution. And it is absolutely my mission and my passion right now to get the word out to as many people as possible to, if they, you know, to recognize what does it mean to be an empath and to claim that identity, that identity, if you have it now. One thing I will say is going back to the, the thing about it seems like a buzzword. Not everybody who is like just having a hard day is an empath. I mean, being an empath is not necessarily something you want to wear like a badge of honor. It's actually quite challenging. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily wish it on anybody either, because while it is a wonderful thing, it is also a deeply challenging thing. And there's a lot of anguish and agony we experience frequently as a result of it. And so, um, you know, I mean, I guess I would just invite you like read my book, go actually, if you want to take the quiz, go to empathicwoman.com and you can sort of take that. It's a 44 question quiz that will just help you figure out where you fall on the spectrum of all of it. Yeah. But Winnie, and thank you so much for inviting yeah. me or for, 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 um, welcoming me onto your show. Yeah. I, I sort of, you know, sent you a, Hey, could I be on your show? So, <laughs> you know, I sort yeah. of invited myself, but um, oh, thank you you're, so much for having me. Yeah, here. you're absolutely welcome. Um, what you just said kind of reminded me of, uh, a quote, um, think from the gospel of Thomas. Mm -hmm. Um, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. And if you do not bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will destroy you. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Well, and Jung said something somewhat similar about essentially, and I'm trying to, I, I, I would have to dig up the meme and the quote to be precise, but he basically is like, it's all the stuff, you know, it's essentially, it's the stuff that we are denying within ourselves that is going to bite us in the butt. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like paraphrasing Jung massively, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's what we do not acknowledge is the stuff that will destroy us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is rising to the surface now too. too. Oh yeah. Well, and I really believe that part of it is that we have like somewhere in the vicinity of 5,000 years of patriarchy and <laughs> empire and, 
and racism and sexism and capitalism and all of these and, and agriculture, power over agriculture and hoarding culture. We've got like 5,000 years of this going on and we've been kicking these cans down the road. And, and it, you know, the thing is trauma is inherited. Yeah. Trauma is passed down from generation to generation. And while the genetic expression may, may sort of become so distilled, you can't, or diluted that you can't see it after like, I think it's like 10 iterations or 10 generations, the emotional, the energetic mm. <laughs> that goes back. And yeah. we, it goes back for thousands and thousands and thousands of generations. There's no escaping it. And I really believe we have kicked the can as far down the road as we possibly can. And now all of our chickens are coming home to roost. Like all the stuff that we've been able to compartmentalize and avoid and the trauma that, that our great, 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 great grandparents were dealing with, it's up to us to deal with it now. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. It's all yeah. here now, everything. Yeah. It's all, it's all like <laughs> dumpster fire. Yeah. Yep. I, I'm experiencing that myself. So it's a big time of transformation. For big time. People, yeah. 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 So I, I have one last question that I asked to sort of wrap up awesome. the interview. And that is if your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? immediately the immediate thing that my inner voice my inner voice just like immediately it would be two words be kind mm. yeah you know or to quote will wheaton can i use slightly like like pg language sure yeah don't be a dick <laughs> <laughs> that'll do Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time... Stay tuned in to you.